Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Whoa, good evening everyone and welcome back to the Maverick News channel There goes the logo off my face Okay, everybody, we have so much to talk about tonight. Off to a late start. Thanks for tuning in late. We weren't able to start at six, as I mentioned last night, but we're on here an hour later than usual and getting things cranked up. COP28, Climate Summit. World leaders, jet setters flying in from all over the globe to save the planet while burning jet fuel. We have that. We also have protests in New York City, Christmas under pressure, an update on the assassination plot targeting Indian separatists, Khalistani leaders. We have Elon Musk telling advertisers to go after themselves, literally. We have the lighting of the Christmas tree at the White House. And yet, it's about so much more than that. It seems like nothing, just nothing can go right for Joe Biden. This is... Uh, they had, a, they had to replace a tree. The tree blew over. <laughs> Tonight, they finally got around to lighting it. We will talk about the situation in the Middle East and touch on why the conflict between Hamas and Israel is really, truly about much more than just a thin strip of land, the Gaza Strip. It's about more than that. So much more. So we have all that and more coming up right here on the Maverick News Channel. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Hello, 
world. Are you awake? Uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever Independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's, FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind Okay, let's start with an update in the Middle East. So what do we know tonight? We know that two hostages have been released since or since the end of the truce between Israel and Hamas, uh, which was has now been extended a day in a last-minute agreement that we'll see more of the people being held in captivity released. Palestinian prisoners will also be freed. An American-Israeli dual citizen who had been held in Gaza, was one of the hostages released yesterday, uh, making that person the second U.S. citizen freed since the beginning of the ceasefire. At least uh, three people have been killed in a shooting attack that occurred at a bus stop in Jerusalem during uh, rush hour this morning. Authorities in Israel say as fears grew of spiraling violence beyond the Gaza Strip, they were called out to investigate that incident. And that attack, responsibility for it, it has been claimed by Hamas. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in the Middle East. He's there trying to <laughs> engage in diplomacy. <sighs> He's uh, meeting with both Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas and Israeli leaders. More stats released by the uh, Health Ministry in the Gaza Strip. As I say, I don't really put much stock in any of the numbers being um, bandied about. And as I mentioned before, I think that this is, uh, well, it's clear. This is about far more than just a thin strip of land. And if you're trying to make sense of it using old political labels, 
you, you're you're going to struggle. You have to temper all of that with today's new geopolitical realities. Because what is going on in the Gaza Strip? There are outside forces in play. It isn't just about that piece of land. In fact, Hamas knew that anything that they, any attack, like the one on October 7th, would result in a severe backlash from Israel. And yet they went ahead and did that anyway. And I said last night, this is about far more than just that strip of land. It's about really at the core, two things, three things, religion and uh, I guess a, uh, because of the, the religion, the religious element from some of the surrounding countries and from within Palestine itself, there's, there's motivation there to, well, there's just a, a long-standing desire and objective that has been publicly stated to expel or ex eliminate Israel, to wipe it from, from the face of that land, to push them into the sea. That motivation, that objective, it still exists today. In addition to that, you have geo the the, the new emerging unit multipolar geopolitical reality that is now upon us, where the United States is no longer the sole dominant superpower in the world. This is not just post-Cold War, post-Berlin Wall falling, post-Soviet Union collapsing. This is, this is the, the next chapter in world history just beginning. And it is playing out. It started in Ukraine, and now it's playing out in Gaza and in Israel. It's about the economy, world economics. It's about Western economic dominance and military dominance waning. It's about these Axis powers aligning against the allies, the Western NATO powers. That is what it is. And it's playing out as part of this conflict. The attack on October 7th, in my view, for what it's worth coming from me, was not just about trying to assert a land claim. It's global in scope. And that was just one of the first strikes. That's why you're seeing the same kind of rhetoric about land claims playing out in Canada, in European countries, the ongoing, long-standing narrative of 
colonizers, decolonialization, get rid of the monarchy. It's about all of that. And it's about political ideology. It's about people with specific kinds of ideological goals, specifically socialism, communism in particular, people who want to further those ideologies and initiate uh, a global revolution, this is one of the first strikes in a kinetic way. They've been involved in fifth-generation warfare for decades already. And now it's playing out in a physical way. But this kind of attack on the 7th, followed by the response from Israel, it, it wasn't, it, you can't read that kind of activity at, at face value. You can't just look at it and go, they did this because they wanted to just go in there and kill people, or, or it's not just what you're seeing on the surface. There, it is like playing 3D chess. They initiate the attack. They know that the response is coming. They're anticipating that. And they see the reaction, not just from Israel, but around the world. They see how the United States responds. They've predicted what the U.S. is going to do. The U.S. is wargaming this out as well. You're seeing the response in Canada. You're seeing what it does to our economy. You're seeing how it disrupts things in the Middle East. You're seeing the massive displacement of people. Refugees fleeing the area. Fanning out and going to Western countries. Canada saying that we potentially could end up taking 500,000 Palestinian refugees on top of the million or so other immigrants that we take in now every other every year it's very disruptive to our country the implications of that are profound and you have the us military on heightened alert with ships in the region now, with a show of force, this is a prelude to a real escalation in what we are already in, which is a third world war, not a conventional kind of world war, but it is slowly evolving into that. And all of this really is predicated on weakening Western economy. The West is extremely vulnerable because coming out of the pandemic, massive government spending has resulted in unprecedented debt levels. Now we're seeing unprecedented levels of inflation. And in fact, we are seeing stagflation in Canada. And I would argue even in the United States where the Biden administration is trying to sugarcoat what is going on down there. But I submit to you that it is not as rosy as they would have you believe. The debt levels are far too high 
And as a result, the entire country is vulnerable. Western society is vulnerable because we're, we've been running on the petrodollar. And everything that our governments here in the West have been doing for at least the past 10, 15 years, everything they've been doing has been undermining our economy. We have a world reserve currency in the U.S. dollar that is based, its value is based on the value of oil, not gold anymore, oil, because Saudi Arabia, back in the 1970s with Richard Nixon, took the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, made it to just a straight-up fiat currency, but it's been propped up by Saudi Arabia forcing people or other countries, nation states, to purchase oil from them in U.S. dollars. If you want to buy oil, oil you've, you've had to buy it in U.S. currency. That creates demand for the U.S. currency, ties it to the value of oil. But what have we been doing? We've been trying to decarbonize our economy, which is an economy based on a dollar that is tied to the value of carbon, oil. It defies logic. It makes no sense. Unless you're totally incompetent or you're really literally trying to destroy everything and tear it all down. And not to say that oil is gone yet, but <laughs> it's not gone by a long shot. But pushing electric vehicles and it's not working. I can show you that tonight. Car dealers are have written a letter to Joe Biden asking him to tap the brakes, as they put it, on the uh, on his electric vehicle rollout, the electrification of the auto industry, because they say it just isn't working. So you have car dealers across the United States writing him an open letter. I'll show it to you tonight. But it's the money printing that is putting our national security at risk, not just stealing Christmas in 2023. It's actually putting national security at risk. How can the West fight a war or provide security or live up to its defense obligations to Saudi Arabia if there's no money, if the economy crashes, if the dollar is unseated as the world reserve currency. If these BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, South Africa, China, if their currency is successful and it is already well on the way to becoming well-established, it's, it's absolutely going to be a competitor to the U.S. dollar. It means we're going to have to live with a much lower standard of living. But more than that, the U.S. and NATO may not be able to finance security for any of the nations that it has made promises to. And if those kinds of commitments are not kept, in particular to Saudi Arabia, then these alliances that the United States has in the Middle East will fall apart quite easily leaving Israel there to fend for itself. And trust me, Israel will not survive. And as Israel falls, so too may the United States and Western society 
as a whole. You see, it isn't just about a thin strip of land. And we're seeing that play out tonight, right here in Canada, in the House of Commons today. The Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, again, hammering on the economy. And then there was this ridiculous statement from the Prime Minister saying that <laughs> the reason the government can print and spend so much money is because the government has been so fiscally responsible. Listen, look at this. Look at this clip. This is just, it defies logic. It really, really, truly does. And listen to this guy. We're going to continue to step up with investments in housing, in affordability, in supporting stronger communities while we fight against increasing impacts of extreme weather events due to ch climate change. And we're going to do it in a fiscally responsible way because we have been so fiscally responsible over the past years. We have room to respond if there is no more to do. We have the lowest deficit in the G7, the best debt to GDP ratio in the G7. The international bond rating agencies have confirmed Canada's triple A rating. We're the third largest economy in the world with a triple A rating after the US and Germany. So we will continue to be there with a responsible plan to invest in Canadians while the Conservatives continue to propose cuts in services and programs as a way of, uh, of creating growth, which makes absolutely no sense. We're going to keep investing in housing, in uh, supporting families, in building a better future while we fight climate change. Makes no sense, really. I mean, on the surface, it sounds like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense because the money that he's printing and spending to invest is money that he's giving to big companies to create jobs. So he's buying jobs for you with your money or your children's money in the future or your grandchildren's money because he's essentially borrowing from the future by printing the money and fueling inflation now making your money worth less which means you end up working for less it to me it just it it honestly defies logic i watch peter schiff quite a bit and uh he's uh stockbroker, I'll call him an economist. He's a, an expert on the economy. And, uh, you know, he commented on this kind of money spending the other day. I recorded a clip of him. He's not aware. So, Peter, I hope you don't mind me running a few of your clips here on the program tonight. Big fan of Peter Schiff. And he explained some of this extremely well. This is how he views, and this is actually a clip from three years ago, this particular one, but he's spot on three years ago. He's always ahead of the curve. He predicted the 2008 financial crash. And here's a clip from three years ago with Peter Schiff talking about government investment using tax dollars. I got up to number three in investing, number nine in business. And I think the highest I saw it was like number one. Others need to listen to me. 
more people's brothers. I hope you can hear that. Mothers and children, right? We got to start making this, right? Uh, you know, this information is there. The internet is here, right? I don't care how, many, how much these networks want to keep me off the air and want to silence me. YouTube isn't silencing me yet. iTunes isn't silencing me yet. I'm here. My message is out there. All the people have to do is know that it's here and listen to it and tune into it, right? This is what freedom is about, but we need to spread the word. That's a, it's a grassroots campaign that I'm running here to educate the American public and to save financially as many people as I can. Because I pretty much know that no matter what I do, you know, this destiny is set. No one's listening to me. No one's going to take my advice. We're not going to do the right thing. My only goal is after we've completely imploded, maybe somebody will look towards my direction. And the people who have been following me will have so much more money than the people who got wiped out. But maybe there'll be some kind of movement. Okay, yes, yeah, Shiv was right about this. He's been warning about this for years. Maybe he's been right for years. Maybe he's not actually a stop clock. Maybe everybody else was a stop clock saying everything was great. Everything was great year after year after year when all it was was a bubble. And as the bubble got bigger and bigger, the guy that kept warning us about the bubble, we all thought his stop, his clock was stopped. But it was because his was moving and ours was stopped. And we just didn't recognize it. We're living in different dimensions or something like that. But what I want to do is make a difference in the aftermath because there's our chance to start over and do it the right way. It's going to be so easy to do it the wrong way, to blame it on capitalism and get in bed with government and to try to find salvation in a government program and a printing press. That's what doomed us in the first place. So hopefully in the ashes of this collapse, maybe we can rise like the Phoenix of freedom and restore uh, you know, the constitution and really make America great again. Donald Trump, that was just a campaign slogan for Trump. I'd rather make it a reality. And we have a better chance of making a rally if more people are out there and know what's happening and know that I said it was going to happen. So we have greater numbers, right? So people will hear our perspective when everybody is looking for answers to questions that they don't even understand. Okay. Exactly right. Okay. Okay, and let's bring this up. He's going to talk about central banks printing money now. You know what they're talking about? The Federal Reserve just printing money and buying stock? That's nationalization. That's like a communist revolution. Why aren't people up in arms? The government is going to print money for free and then use it to buy up the means of production? I mean, we should be opposing that. I mean, you know, we should be taking up arms to oppose that, not welcoming that. The government's going to start nationalizing stuff. What? They're giving us paper means of production. And are they going to operate it efficiently? Hell no. Did the Soviet Union operate anything at all efficiently? Did Cuba uh, operate anything? No, of course not. Of course not. Government can't run anything efficiently. It's impossible. Right? And so we should be up in arms. We should be resisting. The fact that people are, are, are wanting it, but again, because they think it's going to make their lives better. See that the founding fathers warned us about that hundreds of years ago. You never trade your liberty for temporary safety or comfort, not with government. And remember the irony, if you value your comfort and your safety more than your freedom and your rights, you're going to lose that too, right? Once you surrender your liberty, your comfort's gone, a government big enough to give you everything you want 
Is a government big enough to take from you everything you have? And history has shown us that's exactly what big government does. They take everything. And that is essentially what our government has been doing with all of this investing. They're taking money that they print, which is inflationary. So it ends up being a tax on you and me, the general public. They're just taking public money and buying up the means of production, nationalizing industries like the auto industry. They're basically buying up the industry with tax money without actually owning it. They're just controlling it because the money is injected and it comes with conditions. We're going to give you General Motors, Ford, Hyundai, Honda, Toyota, all the auto companies. We'll give you billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. But you must produce what we tell you to produce, electric vehicles. You don't get a choice. You have to use this money to retool your plants, refocus the entire industry, reinvent it electrify it it's entirely government directed they're nationalizing the industry at our expense without telling us without using those words nationalizing it goes beyond that and it ties directly into what's going on in israel and the gaza strip if you look at the countries that are forming an alliance on the Palestinian side, who do you have? You have Syria, Lebanon. You have potentially even other countries that right now may appear to be aligned with NATO, like Turkey. Don't count on it. They've been shifting and they're more in alignment with Iran. So you've got Iran definitely in the mix and at the center of all of this, really at the rear of this entire axis, if you will. Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, Iran, Turkey, and I wouldn't even count on Egypt, which has been at peace with Israel, since what, the 70s, so 40, 40 years, over 40 years, wouldn't count on them either, because there are so many people within Egypt and so many people even within government who still have animosity toward Israel. And like, it's it, that appears many people around the world subscribe to the narrative that Israel is just an occupying nation. And then on the periphery of that, but actually at the top, you have out of all of those countries, and there could be others aligning with them as well, but you have who's tied to Iran? Who's tied to all of these countries? Russia, China, India, the BRICS nations. So you see all of that, the Axis powers, North Korea, all lined up against the West and against NATO.
And what's at the center of what's going on there right now? The economy. BRICS coming up with their own currency to challenge the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. China seen by many in the U.S. as the, the United States' biggest adversary because China is trying to assert itself as a bigger economy than the United States globally and well on, on its way. And I'm not conveying all this information to try to even take sides here. I'm just laying it out for you so you can understand that this isn't just about this thin strip of land. This is about being provocative. And why? What is it that ties these countries together? You have basically a theological autocracy in Iran. So you've got religious motivations in play in the Middle East where there's a long-standing goal to want to push Israel right out into the sea and just get rid of it. You have actual true fascistic and Nazi ideology in play there. And I don't say just fascistic in an economic sense. I'm not talking just about the economic fascism that maybe you, you, you can characterize the socialized economy that we have here. That's, that's a fascistic, socialized corporatocracy that we have in play in the West. Okay, But that's, that's a form of capitalism. Ah, remember that. What I'm talking about over in the Middle East is the evil side of fascism, which makes it Nazism. And that is the prejudice, the scapegoating, the, 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 the targeting of a specific group of people for religious and ideological purposes and targeting them and saying that they're, they're the problem identifying them really with a with wordplay and a recrafted narrative that was used in World War II by the Nazis in Germany to target the Jews. It has been sugar-coated and conflated and expanded to use the word Zionism. If you're, is Zionism equals genocide, they say. And isn't it interesting how they've spun that around? And it's, let's just be frank, it's not just a way of, it's not really just about Zionists. That's a polite way of saying, or a politically correct way of saying, go get those Jews. It absolutely is. And anybody that's telling you otherwise, it's Zionism is the new way of targeting Jewish people and anybody that supports the state of Israel. And, but they'll spare you if you're a Jew as long as you don't support the state of Israel and its existence. And they want a ceasefire and they want peace but not necessarily in a two-state solution. They're committed ideologically and from a religious perspective to the destruction of Israel. 
So what is it then that ties these countries, these nation states together to form this alliance? Why would Russia support that? Because they're not so pure, because they see, just like Stalin did, just like most world leaders do, they're not so pure. They're not so immune to, let's just put it this way, they'll do whatever is in their best national interests. And if you really want to look at the history, the Jews had a pretty rough time under Joseph Stalin, too. Not just under Hitler. That's the truth. And they're having a rough time today, again. But what is it really that ties them all together? Hatred of capitalism. Yeah. Look at all those countries. Look at the ideology in Iran. Look at the ideology in all of these countries that have lined up with China, Russia, India. In particular, China and Russia. It's, they're in alignment, these Muslim countries, Islamic countries, They're in alignment on the issue of capitalism, anti-capitalism, anti-West. And they see capitalism as evil. They see Western society as evil. That is why Israel is the little Satan. The United States is the big Satan. And so you have a religious motivation which is extremely powerful and not necessarily rational. And you have an economic motivation, an economic ideology, communism, far-left socialism, and, and national socialism, fascism, Nazism. They line up. I've said it here, I don't know how many times. People have been misled by putting fascism on the right, communism on the left. They are cousins, sisters, brothers, they're related. They are joined at the hip, separated really only by some differences in the way that it is implemented insofar as fascists on the econ it's just economic side the economic side it's still nationalization it's still government control it's just that under if you're under a fascistic economic system the government allows some private ownership through corporations or companies but the government controls them with money and regulation injected into those industries with conditions. With communism, they just take it even a step further and they just kind of get rid of the corporations and the government runs everything. 
And then if you are lucky enough to be at the top in the government, you get all the privileges in society and everybody else underneath. They're capped. You're all capped. Everybody kind of gets the same or whatever. And even that doesn't really seem to work as we've seen through history. But that's another matter altogether. That's what's that's what ties these countries together. That's what is forming the backbone of their axis. These axis powers, which have reemerged now in a very obvious way. That's it's it's been happening for decades. It's been coming together. And now you see it happening. And it's right in our faces. And it's right here on our shores. And you and they're engaging in fifth generation warfare, which is about more than just trying to come through your computer screen and engage in cyber warfare. They're exerting incredible influence within our governments through co corruption, foreign influence, influence peddling by as China comes in here and they invest in our universities, essentially imposing their will and their ideologies and and what and they get what they want by controlling institutions with cash and politicians follow the money and look and see what's going on you can't understand why justin trudeau does what he does and then we think that it's our system in a way it is because we need to get a handle on all this foreign influence within our government our democracy is our greatest strength, not diversity, but it is also our greatest weakness because it leaves us open to infiltration. That's why we need more transparency. I've said many, many times, we need to know where every penny that a politician gets, we need to know exactly what they have, where their money's coming from. That goes... For the United States as well, you have these politicians that go in there, almost dirt poor sometimes, and they come out filthy, stinking rich. How does that happen? Foreign influence. And that's why it's so hard to kind of figure out what the heck to do, because these politicians, depending on which side they're on, they're being influenced by different people, different players, different organizations, different political groups, different governments even, indirectly even. They'll funnel money over here and then funnel it over there, launder it up over there and then inject it over there. And that's a lot of what's been going on in Ukraine too. We all know that. And then if you get a Manchurian candidate in who really isn't working in the best interests of the country. People are sitting there scratching their heads and saying, why is he doing that? Why is our government doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It, does, it doesn't make any sense, but it does. If you step back and go, who does that benefit? Who does it really, in the end, benefit? Benefits the other side. Benefits the countries that we're actually at war with, as we've seen, as... Don't blame them a bit for doing what they're doing. Of course, they're going to behave that way. Of course, they're going to react that way. Of course, you're going to get what we got. You got to understand, though. So we're, we end up trying to fight back, whether you're a freedom fighter 
or just a concerned citizen. You want to do something, but you're, you're shadow boxing. You can't figure out who it is you want to fight. And people end up blaming our government. Kind of true, but not true. It's true that we have corrupt politicians and incompetent politicians, and you have to get rid of those guys. But the true problem is external to the country. So until you deal with those external forces and cut those influences off, you're going to continue to have the problem. It's not that the party system doesn't work. It's that some of the people within it are corrupted. So you have to end the corruption. How do you do that? Financial transparency. 100% financial transparency. And accountability in that way. And it has to go beyond that. But I'm just alerting you to the problem. And right now, our greatest vulnerability in terms of national security has got to be the economy. Because if the United States dollar collapses, and it may well do exactly that, it seems inevitable at this point. If we lose that currency as the world dominant, as the, as the world reserve currency, We, there will be no money for any any arms. There won't be any there won't be any finances there to prop up the military. You want to talk about a, a risk of a third world war that goes nuclear. That's what it's about, man. Here's Peter Schiff again. He's talking about money and uh, in this clip and uh, and how this issue is leading to an inevitable global revolution. I would argue that some will use this to push a global socialist or even a global communist revolution, presenting it to the public as the solution to what they will say is capitalism but I would say this is a perversion of capitalism because it isn't really true capitalism. This is <laughs> almost intentional destruction of the economy. It goes up. If you have hyperinflation, I mean, look how high the Zimbabwe stock market went up in Zimbabwe dollars, but who cares about Zimbabwe dollars? And pretty soon people might be saying, who cares about U.S. dollars? It's pretty obvious that this is going to happen. The world is hemorrhaging right now from the dollar standard. The fact that the dollar has been so strong against the pound, against the euro, against the yen, that is exacerbating their problem. We are exporting our inflation to the rest of the world, and now they're having to deal with it. The problem is we just print money. We have these massive trade deficits. We're importing all this stuff. We're sucking up the goods. You know who gets this? Vladimir Putin. Listen to some of his speeches. He understands this parasitic relationship that we have with the world where we just print money and we buy stuff. We don't have to make the stuff. The rest of the world makes the stuff. We just create the inflation to pay for it. We are spreading misery all around the world 
and we are living off the fruits of the rest of the world. And the world is like, no, we don't want to do this anymore. There's going to be a revolution uh, against this system because the winner is the United States. The loser is everybody else. Now, you know, as an American, yeah, this was a good deal for us. But I know that it's not going to go on forever because the rest of the world is not going to stand for it. And we've really pushed them in that direction recently by weaponizing the dollar. You know, the stuff that were done recently, uh, you know, with sanctions uh, on Russia. This is just accelerating that process. You see, how long has it been? Like my whole life, we have I've we've watched I've watched our companies go through a process of just offshoring the labor. Oh, let's just move production to Vietnam, Sri Lanka, China, where labor is cheap. We'll set up factories there. Then we'll take those goods that we produce there, ship them back to, to North America, and people get cheaper stuff. But as our industrial base shrank, our means of our, our productive capacity went down. The government were producing less. What did the government have to do? People kept demanding more and more social welfare services. The demands for government pensions and all of the luxuries that come with living in, a, in an affluent society never went away. So the government has been propping everything up with a fiat currency off the gold standard, no longer tied to the value of gold, just print as much money as you need to print. Tie it to the value of, of oil and back it all up with what? Military might. Because the United States is a military superpower. So you're paying people in some in some cases for a long time you would equate them to maybe slave wages slave labor wages in other countries so we could get cheap crap and how many times have people talked talk to us all about going to the store and buying a pair of running shoes that had been manufactured in another country using child labor or in the case of china even maybe slave labor and you have maybe have different views on that, but those are the accusations in today's modern society. And this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. And so China said, yeah, send your jobs here, send your factories here. Well, over time, the balance of economic power really shifts, doesn't it? Because, yeah, for a long time, you can exploit the workers, but over time, if they're the only ones actually producing stuff, you just build up more and more and more and more and more debt. And, you know, a fiat currency is really based, its value is based not just on, well, what is it based on? Ultimately, it's based on faith, trust, that if you lend someone, if you borrow money or if you're, you're in, 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 engage in a, in a loan of some kind, that that loan will be repaid. Or if you purchase something with money, that that money that you're paying for those goods with will be worth something when you as the recipient of those paper dollars turn around and then go to spend it. 
But the reality is with no productive capacity or reduced, increasingly reduced productive capacity in the West, the value, the true value of the dollar keeps coming down and the debt keep kept increasing. We've never paid off our debts. That's why the wages in those countries continue to be low. But over time, using mechanization, computerization, CAD CAM design, technology to improve productivity, countries like China have emerged as economic superpowers in and of themselves. And now they are lining up against that U.S. dollar and we are in a lot of trouble because we haven't paid our debts. And our government just keeps on printing more and more money. That's why we have modern day economists talking about modern monetary theory, which is nothing more than a belief that the way to deal with debt is to simply keep on printing money. But it does in the, in the end, this is economics is a form of natural law. You cannot escape it in the end. You can delay things. You can cheat it for a while. But in the end, what goes up must come down. You could have a fiat currency-based system that could work. And it largely has for quite a long time. What I'm saying is if you had responsible, steady, stable growth, combined with very, very low inflation. That system can work. But when you get somebody like Justin Trudeau in or Joe Biden in office and you have an economic theology based on something that is entirely phantasmagorical, (laughs) they think they can just print and 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 print. Go back to the 1970s. Look at what happened with Chrysler when the company was going bankrupt. We were talking about some millions of dollars to bail the company out as a loan, which was ultimately repaid. And that was controversial at the time. But what are our governments doing now? They're spending, oh, you can have so many billions and you can have so many billions and you get these billions and over here you get these billions of dollars. And now we're trillions of dollars in debt and they have to keep raising the debt ceiling in the United States because nothing ever gets paid for. Just keep on printing the money. And ultimately that can work, I suppose, as long as you don't mind that you no know one's going to save any money. It's not going to be worth anything. It's going to result ultimately in hyperinflation when we're almost there. And that's leaving us vulnerable to everything. And that's why right now you're seeing this instability geopolitically. That's why you're seeing this challenge in Ukraine, which honestly right now is at a stalemate. And it probably will end there, right where it is right now at least for the time being. and But that's also why you're seeing this instability in the Middle East. This is a prelude, a prelude to much bigger things to come. This is the beginning. Not just about that strip of land. It's about everything. It's about 
global economic domination, global military domination, whether the West will actually truly survive, and every effort being made to undermine, destroy, tear down everything that we have using every means at their disposal. Cyber warfare, psychological warfare, kinetic warfare, espionage, economic influence, everything, all at once. And they are trying to reach into your mind to convince you to support this side or that side. And a lot of it, when I'm looking at the reactions from people today, it's neurotic. I'm so upset when Christmas is canceled, but then you're supporting political ideologies that are fascistic and anti-Christian. And therein lies the next level, ultimately, or one of the next levels that will be reached in this conflict. You think it's, you know, I see people lining up saying, you know, it's okay. I can't understand why they're upset with those Jewish people. Yeah, well, it's not just about the Jews. It'll soon be about the Christians, too. Why do you think Christmas has been under such well, let's say pressure for so many years within our society. Why do you think the family unit has been under such pressure? Why do you think all this cultural Marxism, as many people characterize it, why do you think all of that has permeated our society? Because people with those political views, those ideological views are out there applying pressure, whether they're actually agents of foreign governments, it doesn't really matter, I suppose. It's just what matters is that they subscribe to these ideas and they are actively working to promote their worldview, their political views, their political objectives, and ultimately they need to tear it down in order to rebuild it. And a lot of that is being done from within our government because it's been infiltrated. I'm not making it up. I've been showing you intelligence reports here. I've, I've shown you statements from military leaders, government leaders, security officials, asserting and verifying exactly what I've been telling, what I'm telling you right now. It's a, it's a fact. It's going on right now. It has been for quite a while. And they want you. You think you don't matter. You think your vote doesn't matter. You think you can't, you, what you say doesn't matter. You matter. You matter. We all matter. They want your heart and they want your mind. They want your support. They can't do it without us. Either side. Choose wisely. Think it through. Don't just jump on a bandwagon. Because what I'm seeing right now is people jumping on bandwagons that are taking them in a, in a, in a, in a direction that's headed straight for a cliff. <laughs> and they're taking half the country with them. 
maybe three quarters. I see insanity, absolute insanity, and a lot of prejudice. And on the Israeli side, I mean, they've got their objectives too. And they're the tail that's been wagging the dog. And the West needs to rein that in too. Because it's our dollars, our weapons, especially from the United States, that keeps Israel safe. Uh, it has to stop. You can't, you can't have the tail wagging the dog. can't have atrocities committed in by extension even you know if you're supporting that you cannot do that we should not be party to that in my my opinion yes recognize that israel has a right to exist yes defend it so that it's not wiped off the face of the planet yes defend them so that they're not exterminated in another mass genocide or Holocaust. We don't want to, we don't want that repeated, do we? Do we? Protect them. Give them the means to protect themselves. But at the same time, no expansion, no mass retaliation resulting in mass deaths. None of that. And we need to be very careful about drawing conclusions or judging harshly on either side until we get real facts over time. All of this stuff coming out right now, we're in the midst of battle. This is the fog of war. There's a lot of propaganda, a lot of artificial intelligence generating a lot of artificially created memes and even videos. And who knows what the actual truth is about what what's going on with these battles and so on. I'll tell you this, though. I'm not behind anybody that takes hostages. Not supporting that on either side. Don't want anything to do with any of that. But don't lose sight of the fact that these two sides, they're tied to one side and the other one's side to the other side. And what's going on over there is just a prelude to much, much, much bigger, more dangerous things to come. And a lot of it is about the economy. And that is why, again, today, we saw in the House of Commons in Canada another exchange on the economic front. And it's all about deficit spending, all about inflation. And actually, we have now entered into a phase, according to new reports, of stagflation. What is stagflation? That's basically when all the economic indicators are running in the wrong directions. Rising unemployment, rising inflation, while at the same time, you have every other economic indicator running in the wrong direction. And the government is left with very few options and what to do. When they get into that situation, because they can't just rein in inflation by raising interest rates. They try to do that. You get rising interest rates. 
in order to dial back the economy, but you've got decreased growth already. So that puts you into a depression and you get more unemployment, which puts you even deeper into depression, but you've got inflation going through the roof. And so what do you do? You've run out of, run out of tools. It's a, an economic indicator that you're at the end of your, you're at the end of the line with your economic options and you've abused the system to a point where it's almost beyond repair. Was against go. all the investments we've made in green energy, in green aluminum, in green steel, Francois in Philippe battery Champagne. plants. I've never Innovation heard science the and opposition industry leader minister. speak out in favor of the Canadian economy, in favor of the energy transition, and in favor of Canadian workers. That's what we're doing on this side of the house. We're fighting for workers and the green economy. Right. We have, we, after eight years, we've entered the next phase of this prime minister's economic misery. We've seen just inflation, and today we learn Canada's in a state of stag inflation as our economy shrunk by 1.1% in the most recent quarter while the american economy boomed at 5%. Wow. Mr. Speaker, this is the result of high taxes, big deficits and crippling red tape. This at the same time as the prices rise for Canadians, their wages are falling down. The economy is now smaller than it was on a per capita basis five years ago. Why is it that the American economy is roaring while this prime minister's economy is snoring? The Honourable President of the Treasury Board. Miss Mr. Speaker, despite the trite rhymes coming from the other side of the House, I'd like to remind everybody in this House that we actually have an economic plan, unlike the opposition. Our GDP today, Mr. Speaker, is at 4.1% above pre-pandemic levels. That is higher than Italy, the European Union, France, and Germany, Mr. Speaker, and the IMF projects that Canada will have the highest economic growth in the G7 in 2020. For Mr. Speaker, that's an economic plan at work. The Honourable Leader of the Opposition. Mr. Speaker, in fact, the economy is smaller today than it was five years ago on a per capita basis, and the IMF projects Canada will have the worst economic growth over the next six years and the next 40 years. This is the result of high-tax hypocrisy. The Environment Minister, it now comes out after he punishes single moms and small business owners and farmers for heating their homes and driving their vehicles. He has, he has flown 60,000 kilometers. His climate change chair has flown around the equivalent of going around the world four times. And now they're off with 70,000 other people at a air conditioned dome in the desert in a petro state, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Why won't they park the jet, end the hypocrisy and ax the tax? The Honourable Minister for Innovation. Mr. Speaker, there is one number that the Conservative leader will not talk about, Mr. Speaker, is that Canada ranked third in the world for foreign direct investment. Yesterday, Mr. Speaker, just yesterday, Dow Chemical announced one of its largest investments in 126 years in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, Mr. Speaker. This is going to be thousands of jobs, hundreds of thousands of hours of construction, Mr. Speaker. This is how you lead the economy. This is how you lead the country. This is 
How do you lead to reinvestment in this country, Mr. Speaker? The Honorable Leader of the Opposition. I think he wants to lead the party, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> While his prime minister leads the economy into a ditch, the high tax hypocrisy knows no bounds. Now, First Nations are speaking up. First, it was revolting liberal MPs who were worried about losing their seats because of the prime minister's tax on home heat. Then it was other premiers refusing to, to collect the tax. Then it was farmers fighting for their ability to produce food without taxes. And now First Nations, uh, over a hundred First Nations communities have taken this government to court because they're violating the rights of our First People with the carbon tax on rural and remote people. When will they stop violating the constitutional rights of First Nations and ask the tax? The Honourable Minister. Well, first of all, Mr. Speaker, they're not our First People, but they are our First Nations, which are independent First Nations. And Mr. Speaker, this government from 20... No, they're not. Listen to that, Mr. Speaker. The colonialism in this place from the Conservatives just won't quit. I will say, Mr. Speaker, that we respect First Nations on this side. We know that there are leaders. That's why we've invested hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in First Nations to ensure equity in water, in child welfare, and in housing, and we'll continue, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Member for La Prairie. Okay. So, as you can see, all of these things just spread out these issues, right? From the war between Israel and Hamas to World digital, world fiat currencies to inflation to investments in Canada to First Nations and back full circle again to colonialism, which is an issue that affects not just First Nations peoples in Canada and the United States, but also the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, where Israel is viewed as the occupier or the colonizer which needs to be pushed into the sea. And the same ideology seems to apply in Canada with some who rise on the House of Commons and accuse the Conservative Party of engaging in colonialism while the person making the accusations is herself an occupier, a colonizer, who's trying to make amends by offering First Nations people's money and a share in equity. Well, what is the equity? Well, I guess if you have been living anywhere in the world under a capitalist system and you, you see yourself as being one of the oppressed, the narrative then would be that because the West hasn't paid its debts and we ought, we've taken, come in and taken the land that we occupy, we've basically stolen it and the things that we've accumulated and built equity in, we don't deserve to have because we haven't actually paid for the stuff that we said we purchased and nothing that we're standing on in terms of land or property is ours because we stole it. And then you see that 
people even here in Canada and the United States sit around and say, well, you know, it's okay to kill civilians if they're occupiers in Israel. I mean, literally, that's what I've heard people say. Without thinking that you are viewed in exactly the same way sitting on the property that you're sitting on right here in Canada or in the United States. And so when push comes to shove, when the time comes, when all of this comes to a head, I hope and pray that my neighbors and other people in our country who maybe are new to this country don't subscribe to that ideology because things can get real heated and real messy real quick. And the very thing that you felt very good about endorsing or virtue signaling about because, oh, you know, you gotta, it's okay. I can understand why they would kill all them civilians. They might just be coming for you next. Maybe if you're not Jewish, but maybe you're Christian or maybe you're just a colonizer. You see, it's not quite that simple, is it? And I don't think the NDP really gets it either. You know, there's a whole lot of virtue signaling that goes on in our society. And I don't think my neighbors, some of whom around here are Muslims, we get along just fine. And I think we'll continue to get along just fine as long as nobody comes along and starts pouring a bunch of toxic political ideology over our calm and peaceful and welcoming and friendly and honestly loving neighborhood because everything around here seems to be basically okay. Not so much in places like New York City, Rockefeller Center, where they had massive protests when around the Christmas tree there this week. I mean, it was pretty insane. And we've seen these massive protests, these pro-Palestinian protests, and in some cases countered with counter-pro-Israeli protests. But a lot of this stuff is honestly just off the charts and getting out of hand. To deal with a problem that I don't think they're adequately prepared to deal with. So there you see a massive crowd there. And here's police kind of getting ready to push protesters back. I guess they wanted to shut down what the tree lighting ceremony the Rockefeller Center and this is uh, protesters actually picking up the barricades and moving them trying to whoa whoa 
Yeah, this stuff shot by Katie Smith. Um, on the streets of New York, debating what's going on over in Israel between Israel and Hamas. And here you've got uh, cops on bicycles moving into the area. Because the bikes give them more mobility in large crowds. Trying to maintain control. And just listen to what they're chanting. And what does that mean? It means wipe Israel off the face of the planet, push them into the sea. That's what that means. Yep. People are restless, man. People are restless. People are restless. Hang on. I wish there was rational thinking going on, but, you know, when people just sit and chant, generally speaking, there's not a lot of thinking going on. <laughs> they're chanting. And they're just part of a club. And they're just part of a club.
We're in a dangerous, dangerous place. It's a very dangerous time. I hope things cool off. But it doesn't seem like it's going to. We're also seeing, you know, it just, it just, they just, they just don't stop. That's what this whole COP28 climate situation is about, you know? And look, even the CBC, this is a far left government-controlled media organization is you have these world leaders flying in on jets and even the CBC can see the hypocrisy in all of this now. A news organization that generally speaking has been like, well, they've been all in on climate change. They continue to be all in on the climate change narrative. But even they're coming out kind of scoffing at what's going on at COP28. Here, check it out. Look at the headline here. CBC, even they're critical of it. Look at the headline. COP28 climate circus. How did so many lobbyists infiltrate COP28? And then these other headlines. 2023 said to be hottest year on record. UN says COP28 is flooded with oil and gas advocates. UAE pushes its green ambition as COP28 gets underway in Dubai. The fossil fuel phrases that countries will fight over at COP28. Oil sands giants continue work on proposed $16.5 billion carbon capture project despite lingering questions. I have to admit, So they're seeing hypocrisy from a pro-climate change agenda perspective, but they still see the hypocrisy. Here's footage tonight of, well, this is, this is what it looks like. But then we're arriving on there, um, the, the jet setters arriving. So this is uh, Prime Minister Shri, and he's uh, getting off his plane. Quite a life. Hawaii Deepar, Pradhan Trika, Ashmi, Swagat Kia Kia. You know, Swagat Kia 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 दुबई पहुंचे प्रसन्न चित्र मुद्रा में ओह व्हाट काइंड ऑफ कार वाज दैट दैट ही गॉट इनटू देयर आई थिंक दैट वाज अ मज़राटी मज़राटे डोंट लेट दैट इम्प्रेस यू टू मच इफ यू वांट अ मज़राटी जस्ट बाय वन यूज्ड यू कैन गेट इम चीप नोबडी वांट्स इम after they've gone out of warranty, they're too expensive to fix. You can get them cheap. I, th- I was thinking of buying one and just parking it in my driveway just to impress the neighbors and not drive it. 
See, that would be environmentally friendly. Prevent it from going to the junkyard while at the same time not burning any carbon. <laughs> Let's take a break on that light note. I'll be right back. Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. Just looking something up here for you guys. Hang on a second here. All right, let's do this and then we'll go. Okay. Just putting a filter on. Here, how's about a 2012? Well, that's a. How about a 2012 Maserati? 2011. You can get one for like $50,000, $60,000. Here you go. Who wants a Maserati? 2010 Maserati Gran Turismo S. $69,900. That's at a dealer. These are auto trader prices. How much for a private sale? I don't find any around here. Well, it doesn't matter. I won't take too much of your time. This is rather self-indulgent. Now I'm just fantasizing because I wanted to act like uh, like I'm the leader of Iran or India or Canada. There's a 2010 for 50. There's a 2018 Maserati Levante for 33,500 right there in Winnipeg, just listed five hours ago, fully loaded, top of the line, panoramic roof, power everything. 33.5. I mean, who can't afford 33.5, right? Me. 
There you go. Free advertisement for this person, whoever you may be, selling your Maserati. If you want a 2018 Maserati Levante, 33.5. clicks on it, 114,000. But my recommendation is, and I'm sorry to the owner, I wouldn't recommend it. Not unless you want big repair bills, real big ones. So all that going on in the world. And you know, it's like, sometimes you just want to say, F you, <laughs> right? F you. Well, that's what Elon Musk is doing. Yeah. Have you, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. Let me find this clip for you. This, this powerful stuff, you know, because of some of the things that Musk has been posting online, especially about the war between Israel and Hamas, he's been accused of being anti-Semitic. And he has advertisers lining up to boycott Twitter, now X. And so this was, um, he was at the, uh, what was this, the New York Times Deal Book Summit. And he's being interviewed by whoever this guy is, Sorkin. I don't know who this guy is, really. Who is Sorkin? work for the New York Times. I don't really read the New York Times much because I just don't put much stock in it. Andrew Ross Sorkin. He's uh, an American journalist and author, financial columnist for the New York Times. See, I would get my financial advice from them and a co-anchor of CNBC's. I don't watch them. Squawk Box. Don't watch that. He is also founder and editor of Deal Book. Okay, so he's the guy who puts this together, a financial news service published by the New York Times. Well, I guess he's a big fish. Not bit not so big that I'm paying any attention to him, but I am tonight, but not so much him as I am Elon Musk, who, who had some powerful words for these big corporations that have lined up to do the politically correct thing as they responded to the latest thing by boycotting X and refusing to advertise on the platform. And you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will, that was, this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I, I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then, 
That's how I feel. Don't advertise. How do you think then about the economics of, of X? If, 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 if part of the underlying model, at least today, and maybe it needs to shift, maybe the answer is it needs to shift away from advertising. Um, if, if you believe that this is the one part of your business where you will be beholden to those who uh, have this view, G what do you do? F Y. <laughs> I, I understand that, but there's a reality too. <laughs> Right? Yes. No, no. I, I mean, Linda no, Yaccarino's right here, and she's got to sell I, I, advertising. I, I, absolutely. So, um, no, no, totally. So, so no, actually, what, what this advertising boycott is, uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. And do you think that the company? And the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. But there are those advertisers, I imagine, are going to say, they're going to say, we didn't kill the company. Oh, yeah? They're going to say. Tell it to, tell it to Earth. But they're going to say that, they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform, right? Let's, that's that's and, what and they're going to say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. So, okay, this, then this goes back to. We'll, the, we'll both make our cases. Right. And we'll see what the outcome is. What are the economics of that for you? I mean, you, you have enormous resources, so you can actually keep this company going for a very long time. Would you keep it going for a long time if there was no advertising? I mean, if the company fails because of an advertised boycott, it will fail because of an advertised boycott, and that will be what bankrupted the company, and that's what everybody on Earth will know. What do you think, then, of the... Again, this goes we'll back to the idea to of trust, though. Then and it'll I, be gone. And it'll be gone because of an advertised boycott. But, but you recognize that some of those people are going to say that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform. And I, I, want, I just wonder and ask you and think about that for Tell a second. Tell it to the judge. But the, but the judge is going to be... The uh, judge is the public. And you think that the public is going to say that, that Disney is making a mistake? Yes. And they're going to boycott Disney? They already are. Well, there are, there are some that are for, for, for lots of different reasons, but you think that this is going to, that you have the, this goes to actually the interesting of, of, of power and leverage. Let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where they may. Can I ask why, why that is the approach? And I, I ask it because you've been What's very- What's the other approach? Well, you've been very particular about, the, I mean, the approach to Tesla, uh, when you think about the engineering involved in that, the approach to SpaceX, the approach to, um, some of the stuff you're doing with, with AI has been very specific, right? There's not a let, let the chips fall where they may approach to those businesses, I don't think. No, we focus on making the best products. And, and, and Tesla's gotten to where it's gotten with no advertising at all. I understand that. Tesla currently sells two, twice as much uh, in terms of electric vehicles as the rest of electric car makers in, in the United States combined. Tesla has done more to help the environment than uh, all other companies combined. It would be fair to say that, therefore, as a leader of the company, I've done more for the environment than everyone else, any single human on Earth. How do you feel about that? No, I, no, how do I feel about that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm asking you personally how you feel about that, because this goes, we were talking about power and influence and-, I'm, and saying, I'm saying what I, what I care about is the, the reality of goodness, not the perception of it. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. Fuck them. Okay? 
virtue signaling. Yeah. Let that sink in. One of the richest guys in the world. I guess he can afford to say F you. Of course, for some, speaking their mind comes proportionally at a much higher cost. There was a, uh, there is a CTV journalist who has been fired, Yara Jamal, and she spoke up in support of Palestine and lost her job out in Atlantic Canada with CTV News. She's a a Palestinian Canadian, no longer with CTV. And a lot of those protesters that you've seen in the streets came out again to support her by protesting out in front of a CTV station. Here, I'll show you. This is one of only a few reports about this. The Dalhousie Gazette University newspaper says here, pro-Palestinian demonstrators gathered in front of the CTV Atlantic building in Halifax. This rally was in protest of her departure from CTV. And the protest was organized by the Atlantic Canada Palestinian Association, which saw protesters gather on Robbie Street with Palestinian flags and placards. Jamal is a Palestinian-Canadian journalist and University of King's College alumna. She was a writer and production assistant at CTV. Her profile on the CTV Atlantic website currently says that she is no longer with CTV Atlantic. So she made remarks that were critical of Israel um, to the media at a Halifax rally that she helped organize against the Israeli bombing of Gaza on October 22nd. So according to Saltwire, in response to a question asking if Jews can exist peacefully in Palestine, Jamal said, in her words, Jews can continue to exist. The Zionist ideology cannot. Saltwire wrote, when pressed of the Zionist ideology referred to the state of Israel, she, Jamal, responded, the state, no, cannot exist. 
So a spokesperson for CTV has stated that while, and this is CTV statement, while we don't comment on specific staffing matters, we can confirm that Yara Jamal is no longer with CTV News. Yeah. So. I can say that. Have, uh, having been a CTV employee for a long time. Doesn't surprise me. Because as uh, in her position, she is supposed to. remain generally neutral on things. That's what her job is supposed to be as a general reporter. She isn't there to provide opinions. She's not there to make news. She's there to report it, as I was. And I always did my level best to remain neutral on issues. Your opinion, your worldview inevitably flows into things just because of the way you write. Your biases inevitably will show up. But I never, and the entire time I worked there, I never um, took a position hard line like that on. Uh, On, a, on an issue to the point where I was organizing protests in the streets. Now, I admit that there were people who were rallying behind me at one point to take a run at a mayor's job. And I looked at that and information about it came out, but I never did it. I didn't run. And that wasn't partisan. And uh, I never actually came out and made public statements on issues either um, during the, that short period of time where people were talking about that. So, yeah, I totally, I totally get it. Totally get it. Unfortunate. And, you know, in today's environment, where everything is polarized and reporters seem to inject their opinions all the time. That wasn't the nature of my job. It certainly isn't supposed to be the nature of hers either. And whether you, you know, you trust or don't trust mainstream media, um, I can tell you that I'm pretty confident that that organization being what I know it is, if she had come out, if she had been Jewish or just pro-Israel and had come out and organized a demonstration on the other side, the um the result in the end i'm i'm pretty sure would have been exactly the same that's my opinion as someone who worked there for over 25 years not at that particular office or news bureau or 
not not in Atlantic Canada, but I know the organization. And on something like that, they're pretty consistent and solid. Maybe a little less so during the pandemic, a lot less so. That was a different animal, I'll say that. Damaged the credibility of every news organization in the country. Probably permanently. But I understand why that happened. Can't do that. I can do it sitting in this chair. I can offer up my opinion, but I'm independent. This is a different kind of program. This is a new medium. And you're aware when I'm sharing my opinion on something, when I'm editorializing and sharing that with you. This is, uh, you know, she, Yara, may have a, I'm sure she has a different opinion. So what she has to say about it. And as disappointed news fired me after speaking up for Palestine. And as disappointed as I am, I'm not shocked. I was the only Palestinian person in the media in the Atlantic region and the only Middle Eastern woman in their newsroom. My existence should have been important during a time of genocide against my own people. But instead, they decided to fire me, which is extremely painful. There was absolutely no regard that I'm witnessing my own people getting killed. Absolutely nothing. Here's a rundown of what happened. I made a comment during an interview where I was asked if Jews can exist in a free Palestine. To which I had replied saying, Jews can exist, the Zionist ideology cannot, the state of Israel cannot. Logically, a free Palestine cannot exist with an occupation or with a state that was labeled an apartheid state by human rights organizations. My firing took less than 24 hours after a Twitter thread had started labeling me anti-Semitic. When asked why I was fired, I was told that I broke the collective agreement, but both Bell and CTV would not specify to, as to what I exactly violated me. Violated. This infuriates me as to the fact that during my time at CTV, I had many reports to HR about anti-Palestinian racism. And I had explicitly told my managers many times on different occasions that, hey, your newsroom is extremely uncomfortable for me and, it, and, it, and my existence is nothing but a box to be checked. I am consistently uncomfortable working with certain individuals who consistently made me feel uncomfortable as a person of color. Nothing was done and I did not matter for CTV as expected. I was also one of, what, about four people of color in the entire company, so I, I should not be surprised either. Mm-hmm. Hang on, there's more. She continues here. Both Bell and CTV had told me that I needed to be impartial about the genocide in Gaza. Impartial about a genocide, impartial about kids being slaughtered or hospitals being bombed. Okay, 
Sure. Let, let's just assume that I needed to be impartial. My manager at CTV, one of my managers, let's call him John. John had asked me about a statement made by someone I know about October 7th, where they said that the attacks by Hamas should not be looked at as a terrorist act, rather, but as an act of resistance. Okay, that was the statement. Johnny felt the need to ask me if I agree with that statement and if I think that the attacks are a terroristic terroristic acts. For why? For why do you need to know what I think about Hamas? Did you not just tell me to be impartial? It makes no sense to me. Freedom of speech does not exist for people like me or people of color. It, it doesn't. Palestinians continue to be silenced and I will not stand for it anymore. CTV has failed me as a Palestinian employee and continues to fail the Palestinian community as a whole. That's it. Actually, as a general assignment reporter, all the years that I was there, free speech didn't exist for me because I was expected to remain as impartial as possible when I was reporting. That was old school journalism. I was there as a facilitator to allow people with all points of view on an issue, an opportunity to step up on the soapbox for a moment within a short news story every night to express their views on a given issue. And by exploring all sides of the issue and presenting it to the public, then allow the public to draw their own conclusions. But at no time was it my job to sit there and provide my opinion as part of that exercise. I was simply a facilitator. That's really what her job was supposed to be too. So unfortunately, when you assume that job with that company in that way, you give up your right to free speech. That being said, you still have an opportunity to do a whole lot of good practicing journalism because you, as that facilitator, provide one of the cornerstones to democracy. You become a conduit of free speech for all those in your community. And by directing that free speech in a responsible way, you can make your community a better place. But when you start injecting your opinion, then you become an editorialist. If you keep on going, you can cross the line into activism. That isn't traditional old school journalism. That's might you might still characterize that as journalism, but that's a different strain altogether. And that's not what her job was, nor was it mine at the time. What I'm doing here is different. You know, she's free to go and do what she wants now. She does have free speech. She can say what she wants. And uh, I respect 
her position. I respect what she's saying. I understand. I also understand why CTV reacted that way. And I would welcome comment from either side. Further comment on this program. And Yara is welcome to come on here and uh, discuss further. And maybe we'll reach out to her and see if she would like to appear on the program to express her views further. And she's free to do that now, obviously, because she won't be going back. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming in an ocean of lies a century deep, the truth awaits. Choose not the red pill. Choose not the blue pill. For both are an illusion. Discover the power of M. The power of individuality. We are mavericks. We are the way to the light. Fear not the storm. Join our quest for truth. Truth will set you free. Maverick News. The world is watching. And in 2023, in this November going into December, it seems like Christmas is under a lot of pressure again. And with all of this chaos in the world, with these wars, the war, well, I think maybe we'll start to refer to it as the war. <laughs> seems like Christmas, seems like so many people just want to cancel it. It seems like there's just, I don't know, even at the White House, we showed you the other night, Jill Biden was there when the White House Christmas tree arrived. Well, I guess... They brought in one Christmas tree and they had a bunch of kids there and a, they made an event of it. And I, I was kind of joking around. I thought it was kind of a fun thing at the time. But that tree, it, it wound up with some fungal disease. They had to get rid of it. Then they brought in another tree. <laughs> and that, that one blew over. Like, is this just somebody trying to tell us something? I don't know. Here, let's uh, let's pick up this report, and then we're going to go to something new that happened today at the White House. But this tees it up. Well, there was a Christmas catastrophe catastrophe of sorts at the White House tonight. Strong winds, a little too full of a Grinchy spirit, actually blew down the national Christmas tree. Take a look there, the tree on its side of the South Lawn. Didn't stay there for too long, though. Crews were able to get it upright pretty quickly. And that's actually the second national Christmas tree uh, to have been put up this year. The first one had to be removed because of a fungal disease. Let's hope this one sticks. Yes. Let's talk more about the wind. Well, I don't know. It just feels kind of ominous, doesn't it? And then you see all the protesters in the streets and around the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center. 
shut it down. They were shouting at the event in Rockefeller Center. Shut it down. I don't know. And then they say white Christmas is racist and uh, what other Christmassy things? Well, the Human Rights Commission in Canada is saying that Christmas is racist and colonialist. Well, they haven't gotten rid of it altogether. Now that the tree is uh, is back up, they're going through the uh, the lighting ceremony at the White House. First uh, Lady and El Presidente Biden there to uh, do the big countdown. Let's go to the White House and check it out. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Finally, it's up. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. Jill and I are honored to welcome you. Again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a seat if you'd like. Jill and I are honored to welcome you to the National Christmas Tree Lighting. Thanks to Interior Secretary Deb Holland and the National Park Service Foundation. They're the ones doing this. And a special thanks to tonight's host, Mickey, and all those incredible performers we have here tonight. This is a great tradition. One, as has been pointed out already, we've honored over 100 years where presidents and the people come together usher in the holiday season. Earlier this week, Jill and I announced the theme, Jill announced the theme of this year's holiday at the White House. Magic, wonder, and joy. Three words that capture the essence of Christmas and the holidays. To rediscover for ourselves the simple joys of the season, from familiar songs to favorite recipes. To open the hearts with simple acts of kindness, especially to those those going through hard times, and to strengthen the bonds with family and friends, as well as with our faith and our community. To remember, we're a great nation because we're a good people. That's what I see all across America, including tonight. Joining us are 43 members of Team USA who represented our nation at the Invictus Games this past September. Give them a hand. Jill and Prince Harry went to the first Invictus Games in 14 and Invictus Games in Ontario. I was there in 16 in Toronto. Anyway, there's been great, great, great effort that we've seen. And you know, these athletes were incredible. Wounded warriors from service branches, every service branch, and the essence of who we are as Americans. We look to one another and we look out for one another. We leave no one behind. 
And for our best, we are united at our best. We're the United States of America. We began another holiday season. Let's remember how blessed we are as Americans with the gift that is our nation. So a Merry Christmas, America. May God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Merry, Merry Christmas. And there you go. They finally got the darn thing stand up. For now. For the moment. Hang on. I'll be right back. Jingle bells. Trudeau smells. Biden laid an egg. Klaus Schwab's deal has no appeal. But tomorrow is a brand new day. Hey everyone. Have a merry maverick Christmas. And a magnificent new year. That's incredibly juvenile and silly, but I made it and I like it. <laughs> I snorted. <laughs> uh, oh, I amuse myself sometimes. And uh, in a kind of a sick, twisted way, a lot of people on the left side of the political spectrum are taking joy in the death of Henry Kissinger, it seems. Certainly some protesters we saw in Rockefeller Center actually cheered, um, I believe. Was, was it that protest? There were protesters anyway, pro-Palestinian protesters. I saw the video. They were cheering when it was announced that he died. Um, maybe not that protest, no. But in any event, all you have to do is take a look at X or Twitter and uh, look at the posts. This one here says Kissinger and his wife looking like villains in a James Bond movie. Just posted. <sighs> Remembering Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State, served under Nixon. Recipient of um, Nobel Peace Prize, controversial, but anyone in a position of world leadership like that, especially with the superpower. It's going to be viewed in a very polarized way. Someone suggesting that he has gone straight to hell. Kissinger is, uh, was Jewish, born in Germany. And then this far left News organization now this posting. I happen to believe that Henry Kissinger's, Kissinger was one of the most destructive secretaries of state in the modern history of this country. Bernie Sanders did not mince his words, it says here, when discussing Kissinger's legacy during a 2016 Democratic debate across from Hillary Clinton. And... Here's what Sanders said at the time. Where the secretary and I have a very profound difference 
in the last debate, I believe in her book, very good book, by the way, in her book and in this last debate, she talked about getting the approval or the support or the mentoring of Henry Kissinger. Now, I find it rather amazing, because I happen to believe that Henry Kissinger was one of the most destructive secretaries of state in the modern history of this country. I am proud to say that Henry Kissinger is not my friend. I will not take advice from Henry Kissinger. And in fact, Kissinger's actions in Cambodia, when the United States bombed that country, overthrew Prince Sihanouk, created the instability for Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge to come in, who then butchered some three million innocent people, one of the worst genocides in the history of the world. So count me in as somebody who will not be listening to Henry Kissinger. And what else do we have going on here? Nick McClellan posting, for those mourning the death of Henry Kissinger, let's not forget his infamous throwaway about the fate of Marshall Islanders impacted by the 67 U.S. nuclear tests at Bikini. And in Inuitak, it tolls there are only 90,000 people out there. Who gives a damn, it says. Very polarizing. Yeah, some people says he say he's a war criminal. As you can see here. Let's take another quick break. I'm going to just tip in and see what's going on with that DeSantis Newsom debate tonight. Maybe we'll pick that up on the other side of this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Exile The Knights of Malta Maverick News Join us. The world is watching. Okay, just uh, checking some stuff here. Let's go to the phones. How about that? Yeah, we'll do that. Give me a moment here. We're going to run another promo. When we come back on the other side, you can join the conversation. So, we haven't done that for a few nights. Hello, world. Are you awake? Uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, we're getting it cranked up. Here's the number to call. Join the conversation. Call 1-833-975-3733. That's 1-833-975-FREE. Speak up. Speak out. Make your voice heard. Maverick News. Fighting for freedom by defending your right to free speech. Be a Maverick. Join us. And you can support the show by donating at freedomreporters.com. Thank you very much to, to those who have donated in the last few days in particular. Um, extremely helpful. Freedomreporters.com, maverickdonations.com is the other uh, URL you can go to. Most people who do donate uh, would use that portal right there. You can also donate through the Rumble Rants on, um, on Rumble. And I am in one ear queuing up here um, the live stream with DeSantis. But I don't think we're going to go to it. It's just um, I don't honestly get it. Why? 
Why Gavin Newsom versus DeSantis? I'll show you this for just a moment. This is, there's some watch parties going on. So this is, This is unusual. Why, why would one of the most Hannity and Fox give these two guys I'm platform Biden and Harris have done. in the middle of a like presidential and I do have race. a follow-up. DeSantis running for president. Newsom not in the race. Families, uh, couple there, in California, is there something going on we're not being told? income tax on $84,000 a year. Low-wage workers that's why in the state of Florida pay does. more than I'm in our state I, of California. Could we ultimately end up with these two guys in the end because Trump maybe be barred from running because of his legal problems? And then Biden maybe incapacitated besides we're told we're unable to run again. He ends up entering the race. And these two end up squaring off against each other because of some predetermined plan or agenda. Strange. These are two governors squaring off in two different states. Feels like a setup. Working people. That doesn't help working people at all. How does well, paying you know, your know, yeah. yeah. sales tax live here. help There's working people? That doesn't help working people at all. Kind of like me. Uh, they have the highest taxes in the nation. People flee to be able to save money uh, to get out of California. And you have working class people that move to these other states. Their dollars go much further. But here's the thing. They want to take this Bidenomics and they want to double down on this for the next four years. How many people are able to afford groceries now compared to what you were doing three or four years ago? I talked to people, you know, I, I talked to a woman who had a had a, a, a cart full of groceries going in. I'm not sure comparing in. this economy and to the middle so of COVID is where Ron DeSantis wants to go with this. Out. That didn't used to be the case. People used to be able to work hard and get ahead. That is not true under Joe Biden. And you know what, Sean, one more final thing. California's unemployment rate is 60% higher then Florida's unemployment rate. And you know, this, <coughs> this, um, <coughs> excuse me, this whole thing gives DeSantis, you know, a, a platform that the other Republican contenders for the candidacy are not being given. The, very strange. I, uh, we're not going to sit through this tonight. We're going to go to the phones here. Uh, we're ready to start rocking and rolling with the calls. We have our first caller up. There he is. Here's the man. Hello, you got sir. the bomb lift off the man without a plan. The master of all your disasters. What a great day. How Henry you doing? Kissinger. Uh, I'm working. Remember my new job? I told my boss, you guys won't last two days without me. Well, Monday came around, and uh, one of the machinists cut his finger off, so they're shorthanded, literally. And guess what? I'm back at the old shop. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry to <laughs> hear that. I get all his overtime. Sorry to hear that your colleague chopped his finger off. Oh, my God. Were they able to reattach it? Yeah, yeah. it's funny because... Uh, we we work right across the street from the uh, East Side uh, Clinic, so it was bang bang right in the uh, 
it was hanging on by a thread or whatever, but they sewed it back on. Ouch. He said he gets the fastest service he ever had. I said, oh I God. bet you walk into a, a walk-in clinic with your finger hanging off. They well, want, that they want to be play doctor. Here you go. Very painful. A lot of nerve endings in a hand, man. So I, uh, yeah, with Henry, Henry Kissinger, uh, dying, uh, there's a lot of people in Southeast Asia. We'll count in Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam that are probably celebrating today. I understand. I do. Yeah. Understand. He's probably at the pearly. He's probably at the pearly gates, uh, licking Hitler's nuts right about now. I can't believe that guy lasted in the White House, somewhere in the White House. He always had a position in the White House from 1968 all the way up to Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. He had a consulting company dealing with the geopolitics. So he was always around. And uh, freeloaders. Yeah. Freeloaders on the backs of taxpayers. You know, it's funny how you said that too today. Uh, you're talking about how politicians become rich, okay? They go in flat broke. Yeah. And you look at our liberal MP here, uh, Eric or whatever his name is, Eric and Winter, Winter mm -hmm. East. He won't be there for long. The guy never had two fucking pennies to rub together. And I bet you his net worth in the millions by the time he leaves. He's only been in office five years. Yeah. Well, you know, you get in How there. How is that possible? You get, uh, you get. How's that possible? Yeah, well, it's, it's possible if you're doing things maybe you ought not be doing because you have yeah, like information. Uh, pass, passing bills that passing bills that profit you, or you somewhere, know where to stick yeah. your money in the stock. Yeah, right. Conflict the interest. Right. There's nothing mm -hmm. you can do about it. It's a, it's it's a mess. Canadian politics is a huge mess. You know, a politician uh, at MP level, what do they make? $180,000 a year? Yeah, yeah, probably in that range, yeah. It's about right. And whatever else, if they sit, they sit on committees here and there, they make more, right? That's how they do it. Yeah. So yeah. it is what it is. As for the uh, the Sante's talking about the price of food, it's getting so bad down here that I'm ready to eat the peanuts and the corn right out of my shit. Oh, just to save a buck. Oh, man. Just, it's getting bad. It Rick, is. It's getting bad. It is. You know, it's to the point. Yeah, I'm not really worried about it. I gotta, you know, I'm all right. But, you know, if it came right down to it, I wouldn't be dumpster diving. But I know some people that would be. Okay. I'd be out there with my fishing rod without a fishing license. I'd be out hunting moose, hunting deer hunting whatever I can. Mm -hmm. And when the ministry comes down, you don't have a license to, to hunt. Fuck you. How's that sound? If you can't afford food, you have the right to hunt. Yep. I see a lot of rabbits in creep. my neighborhood and I'm starting to, and I'm looking at them and they're looking kind of tasty to me. <laughs> yeah. Rabbits go good with potatoes and carrots. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, you know, I've eaten turtles. I've eaten snapping turtles. I've eaten snakes. Uh, I've eaten crickets. Believe it or not, I believe and that's it. before the cricket run. Yeah, no, I, I have. I've eaten mm -hmm. crickets, grasshoppers uh, before, way before. We're talking 
these plants even came about, right? Yeah. You, as, as a reservist, you go on these uh, weekend excursions and it's survival time, right? Well, there's shit that I've eaten that people would go, wow, you know, I'm a survivor. I'll eat wild turkeys. I see Mary, Mariana saying wild turkeys. Yeah, there's a, a pack of wild turkeys right by my work. You know, geese, duck, whatever. Barrel, yeah, pheasant, pigeon. I'll even go to if I have to. I'll have to eat a seagull. I'll <laughs> eat shit hawks. I don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna eat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. All I know, all I know, is my garden's gonna get a lot bigger this year, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope a you don't have bigger. to eat. I hope you don't have to eat seagulls. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh they're easy to catch just go down to the river with a with some mcdonald's french fries and fuck you can snatch the seagulls all day long they'll yeah. come right on you well come to chatham we have lots of crows you can catch those the same way crows crows we have yeah this crow is like pie the crow, like crow capital of canada my god well i remember 2008 when the, the uh uh the, the the financial crisis was going on yeah Detroit hit rock bottom, okay? Detroit hit rock bottom, where you could buy out for $3,000, okay? You can't now. It's come back up. But there are people there that were eating raccoons. People mm -hmm. lived in the city their whole life, couldn't afford food. And there was a documentary done by uh, Channel 7 Action News they did. And uh, there was people that were killing the wildlife in the neighborhood, right? Yep. Squirrels? Frog legs? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading it in the chat. Pigeon pie, rabbit stew, pheasant yeah. with red wine. Hmm. Pizza, that's a good one. You know, so you could you could turn what people turn their, their nose up at into a fine meal. Mm -hmm. You know. I got dogs. They're they're last on the list. Dogs and my cats. I'll yeah. eat the liberals before my dogs and my cats, guys. <laughs> That's not cannibalism. I, there, I because that's a whole other species. You you, you can eat liberals. <laughs> That, yeah, that's they're, allowed. They're vegan. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they're vegan. <laughs> right? I, I hear they taste like shit. You got to cook them at 375 for a long time. Uh, but the shit smell goes away on a liberal. <laughs> it comes down to that. That's the oh way it is. With all that being said, get to your next caller. <laughs> okay. Merry Christmas, Leo. <laughs> Have a good night. Happy Hanukkah. Friend. Merry Kwanzaa. And uh, whatever else you're into. Happy <laughs> Ramada, whatever they call it over there. Yeah, it is what it is. Have a good night, Rick. See ya. Hey, oh, hey, look, at, do we have a special treat? It's the return of the dragon. Hello, sir. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I am fine. We haven't heard from you in a long time. Hi, dragon. Yes, Hi, dragon. Well. Hey, what's up? Uh, yeah, well, I've been into a great adventure, I will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell but, me what's what's been going on with well, you because you, you had a you had a real challenge ahead of you there, my friend. Yep. Well, your dragon, yours truly, been a homeless for a moment and uh, actually uh, gone through the whole thing. Uh, well, let's put it this way: nineteen, uh, no, twenty nine of June. What happened? Uh, well, I kind of had a word with my uh, room, so decided to go on my own ways but basically without none, uh, nowhere to go. So I went to a shelter in Montreal. And from there, 
I kind of went through their little thing. I uh, got myself some chores, stick it there a little bit, and sticking uh, still there. But uh, I got my own little studio up there. Uh, the thing is that I'm waiting right now for my home studio in my own apartment in the building, which is supposed to be prepared around like mid uh, December. So, yeah. Life was hard, but uh, I got through the whole thing. And I'm going back to the uh, civil world as a citizen. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you've landed on your feet. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. So what... Uh, to, to, and I have a lot of thing in mind. So to tell us, Dragon, oh. what, what has it been like to, to have to, to work through the system like that? What's 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 your days uh, like? You, you, I guess you don't have a, you know much privacy. It's uh, it must be very no. You stressful you live life. with basically four person. Uh, well, okay. For a few months, what happened is like for the first two months, I was kind of going from sticking inside from two uh, uh, two p.m. to say uh, six a.m. Then you got to uh, get way uh, waked up. So basically, you don't go outside after uh, 2 p.m. It's like you go in and you stick in, like a little bit like a rehab house kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you get in, you got feed, you got, you know, showered, everything. You got all the service you need. Um, and then what happened is that you got probably a chance to do a chores. But as I'm a fighter and a kind of, a, you know, a willing guy, uh, give me any chores, you know, I can do all. So they were like, yeah, you look like a guy that wants to uh, go back to a real life. Right. Mm -hmm. So they got me into what they call the program, which give you a chores and a place to stick like for about three months till they get you like on another room upstairs, which like basically for the first month you're with four person. And so no privacy second state. It's like there's another person with you in the room so there's no privacy there uh so now i'm the la i'm at the last letter of the thing where i'm in the studio alone in my little room like basically like an apartment but uh, there's some rules and stuff and well i got my chores to do but that gives me the permission to have my place so and they have my uh they have helped me to find another place for uh well you know get back on the real road and real life. Oh, good for you. So it's so, hard, you know, you got like 100 people around and <laughs> as an agoraphobic, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So are you, were you looking for work? Do you have some, some assistance of some kind or how are you going to make ends meet? What's your yep. plan? Yeah, actually there's uh, social workers that help you to uh, go through uh whatever you need to go through. For example, if you need to go through your taxes, like I did not do for a first, well, they got me all the taxes done for, for the seven year that I haven't done for. So mm -hmm. that's a good thing. So everything's done. And I'm like, basically I had a lot of stuff to get through, but yeah, they all helped me to get through that. And basically right now I'm getting the, uh, uh, invalidity for, uh, with welfare. So basically because of my back chronic pain and shit like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. So they got all that arranged. 
Well, I'm relieved that you called in. We, you know, everybody has been thinking of you and talking about you and, yes. you know, and concerned about you. Um, so I'm, I'm yes, I know. Uh, some friend told me that uh, you all were looking out for me, guys, and whole family. And for that, uh, I don't know how to show you all my gratitude and my appreciation because uh, you guys were uh, one of my uh, pillars to stick around. And I mean, I could have just, you know, put my my arms down and just say fuck off. But no, I didn't. I just stood up, I take it like a man, and I had a family behind me to, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I, I didn't forget anything about you guys. You were all there, and yeah, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> so, and you, sir, you were there too. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know that. What, what about right now, Dragon? Do you, what, what do you need? Do you need help of any kind, or um, can we do anything for you? Ah, actually, no, I'm pretty much uh, well-grounded, sir. And, uh, I mean, I know that you guys have uh, tried to help me a little bit, but something told me that I needed to go through all by myself kind of thing. And, you know, like being a proud man like I am, uh, it was a need. And actually, uh, now I'm pretty much well-grounded, well uh, ready to take a fight as soon as I move in. And... Uh, tell you that my little uh, news thing that I was thinking about is not forgotten. I just needed the time to get back on my feet and do right, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, and also probably have some, some little course about the news thing. So, you know, being a good journalist needs to, uh, to learn if you think. Well, the main thing is you want to get back on your feet, get stabilized, get your life on track and uh you know these other things will come in time right but you got to take care of yourself first to make sure right. that you're okay yeah. yeah oh well i do my my friend i will tell you that i do train myself every day i try to keep myself in shape so yeah i'm pretty much in the right track i think the shelters are they full or what what are you seeing out there is there an increase in in, in the number of people going in there? Yes, actually. Well, mostly, well, when the cold comes, you sure have like mostly, a, uh, I would say a 20% uh, um, more people coming in because, I mean, it's cold. People don't want to stick out. Uh, to be quite honest, in the place that I uh, uh and where I live in, in the, uh, in the quartier here, uh, geez, people goes even where there's like events and stuff like that, just to get, you know, they want to get warm up. So, yeah. And some people will just try to be on the tent, but sometimes even the police will try to, you know, get those people out of tents. And, uh, I mean, in parks, you, you can see some tents sometimes and sometimes they, police get there just to raid them on because they don't want them to get hurt with fires. I mean, they, sometimes they lit, uh, they will lit some candles around in the tent. That's kind of a no, no. So yeah, uh, those people, you know, have the, the harsh time in them. You know, it, it's hard, it's heartbreaking to see how it, the system goes sometimes. It's, 
you know, there's so much, not, not much help available. And those people kind of are, you know, between a hard drugs and yeah, a hard place too. So, yeah. Well, you know, you, you need to be strong psychologically too, to get through this. So I, uh, I take my hat yep. off to you. It's, it must've been extremely stressful and, and psychologically trying to, to go through this. And uh, yes. yeah. Yes. But I mean, in a way, you know, doing my chores and stuff like that was kind of, uh, um, I would say a ground, if you will, because in a way, for example, uh, in the weekend, I was a uh, dishwasher. So basically, I mean, I had to be around and I'm the kind of, you know, the friendly guy around and like the funniest guy around. <laughs> the dragon has made his mark, you know, so <laughs> the guy were like always looking forward to see me like always like the big smile, like, hey, you know, you take the bulls by the horn and you kick his nuts. That's how you do in life, bro. And then, you know, kind of motivational kind of thing. And people were like, yeah, man, you give me the groove to get around. So I was a uh, master of all things, if you will. Well, Even helping some people in, uh, in need. I'm so glad that you called in tonight. And uh, so glad to hear that you're okay. And uh, getting back on track. Yeah. Yep. And I'm glad too, sir. <laughs> Very much. It was hard, but hey, a beautiful, a beautiful adventure. I will tell you that because there's a lot to say. <laughs> Got my phone stolen once or twice. <laughs> Things like that. Oh, yeah. Funny shit. <sighs> well, listen, but, hey, you, you know I, what? Yeah. It's a hard life, man. It is indeed. It is. But, but uh, no, Bruce. No, nothing. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? I, I'm no, bru no, Bruce. No, nothing. So I'm good. <laughs> good, good. Well, now that you got your phone and you're uh, able to communicate again, make sure that you stay in touch and call in and message me yes. if you need anything. And uh, and with that, I guess we'll kind of we'll wrap do. up tonight. Um, is there anything else you want to? add or think that might have been missing before we sign off for the evening? Actually, I will say two words. Thank you, everyone. Well, that's what's true. <laughs> Love <laughs> you guys. It depends on how you spell it. <laughs> you are? Huh? It depends on how you spell it. If you put thank you together in one, then it's still words. So that's okay. That's true. Yeah. And thank you for uh, for calling in and giving us. I, I think you're an inspiration to us all, and you show that no matter what what life throws at you, what kind of curveball, you know, we uh, we can always find a way forward. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of curveballs, I was a good. Uh, I was the first batter for the uh, Maison Spaff team uh, on softball. So, yeah. <laughs> Have a good one. All right. Thank you, Dragon. <laughs> love you guys. And I love you, Rick. Love you too, man. Take care. Take care, man. Talk to you again real soon. Yep. See ya. Sure do. See ya. And with that, folks, we are going to wrap up for tonight because, well, can't top that. I'm just glad that he's uh, out there and 
doing okay. I'm just so glad that he called in. I was wondering what happened to him because we haven't heard from him for a little while. So thank you, Dragon, for calling in. For calling in. All right, folks. That's it for tonight. It is uh, November 30th, 2023. Tomorrow's another day. And you know what? We're going to make it. The sun will be back up in the morning. Things will be looking brighter. And I'll be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Love you guys. Catch you on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.